Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Bring it back. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hey guys, I'm Tad, Liverpool fan and host of a Tad Predictable podcast on EPL Index channel. Hi everyone, I'm Jamie Smith, here so quite Burnley tonight. I write and edit the No Name Never newsletter, which goes out on Substack. Hey, I'm Jay. I'm a Palace fan and I run the Eagles Beak. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Uh, I figure we should start off with a, a thing that just happened, which was the closing of the January transfer window. Obviously, it was a little bit slower than some years in past, which we'll get to in a second. But I just wanted to start off with each of you with a, a winner and a loser, if you will, from, from the January transfer window. I think for me, one of the winners is probably Tottenham. Um, brought in some reinforcements in terms of Werner um, for the forward line, brought in defender. And I think equally important, got rid of some players um, like Dyer, who didn't seem like they're in the plans of Ange. And he's important enough to the club from from off the pitch side of things that he could be an, an influence, whether good or bad, uh, in the dressing room. So just to to get him out was was good. Um, teams that left themselves a bit short. Sheffield United, I don't know if uh, their signings were more to do with um, how they see they're going to fare in the championship, whether they've resigned themselves to to going down already. But, um, I mean, uh, Diaz looked like he hit the ground running when he came in, but he struggled at Sevilla. I don't know if he have too much of an impact and, and that helped them stay up. And then also they were chasing a centre-back all, all winter, uh, ended up getting Mason Holgate on deadline day. Again, I don't know if that's enough uh, to to see them sort of catapult up the table in in a way that, and manner that they needed to. But yeah, those are probably the two that I would uh, point out. Yeah, like you said, Kev, I think it's been quite a quiet window, so a lot of teams didn't really seem to do much. Um, one signing that caught the eye for me was Calvin Phillips going to West Ham. I know he had a bit of a dodgy debut in midweek with a mistake with almost his first touch, but if Phillips gets back to the sort of form that got him in the England team in the first place when he was at, at Leeds before he went to Man City, what a strange move that seems to be, then I think it'll be a really, really good signing for West Ham. Um, they're obviously having a bit of a mixed season success in Europe again um, at the expense of Premier League form, but I think David Moyes has done a really good job there. Phillips seems a good fit for a Moyes team, and I think they'll they'll do pretty well. Um, a team that left themselves short, I think Crystal Palace didn't really do enough. Um, 
they've signed Adam Wharton from from Blackman Rovers, a player that I've seen a little bit of from from last season. I think Wharton will be a really good player again. Had a bit of a dodgy debut, didn't he, at the weekend? I think he gave away a, a pass that cost them a goal. But Wharton's a very talented young player. I think he's going to go on to be an excellent Premier League player. But that Palace squad has looked short on quality for a few seasons now. It's not really a surprise that Roy Hodgson's coming under pressure. They've let they've lost some good players. Um, I think one of their star players is out for the season with injury, aren't they? Wilfred Zaha was the heart and soul of that club, and he's gone, not really been replaced. There's a lot of pressure on Eze and Elise to sort of step up, and they're both having it had injury problems. So I don't really think Palace have, have done enough, even though they've signed a couple. Um, and if they are going to sack Roy Hodgson, which seems likely, that might have happened by now, by the time this goes out also, um, then it makes you wonder what the new manager is going to do because he's going to have exactly, he'll have exactly the same squad to work with. So I think it's a bit chickens coming home to roost for Crystal Palace. Yeah, welcome to the EPL Roundtable Crystal Palace podcast. Um <laughs> Um, we've got any listeners left (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i i'll respond on those points uh later in the uh in the podcast but in terms of the question um yeah i i'm really impressed with spurs and um and Ange postacoglu in terms of continues to tinker with a squad which is trying to make his own i think he's done very good business getting rid of the players that he doesn't want there bringing in players that he wants it. I mean, these things take time and managers need time to be able to, to be able to build their own squad of players. Um, so I think Spurs have had a very solid transfer window. Um, I mentioned Palace. I mean, I think we we're one of the big spenders in January, which probably says everything about how quiet it's been in January. Let's be honest. And uh, it seems to be clubs petrified of sanctions and, Financial fair play, and, and obviously, you know, since since recent uh, points deductions have been handed out, which has made things very, 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 very different for a January transfer window. I have to say, um, in terms of losers, not many people have mentioned this, but I, I, I mean, I know Arsenal have just beaten Liverpool uh, as we go live on this podcast, and um, you know, in in the game this evening. But I, I still think Arsenal are missing that main striker. Um, and I think their lack of being able to do that in this January transfer window, if they brought in a striker that could score goals for them regularly, you know, Gabriel Jesus, Jesus was out today. Um, I don't see them as having that out and out goal scorer, which if they'd have brought somebody in in January, I, I don't know who that might have been. They were linked with Benzema, even Benzema coming into Premier League. You know, he, he would have scored goals for them in this side and, you know, would have, would have probably help them win the title this season. I think that's the one thing they're missing. You know, they've acclimatised the fact they've got Declan Rice and that's that's affected, you know, no, yeah, it, not pointing fingers at Declan Rice, he's an excellent player, but speaking to an Arsenal fan recently, I was saying that it's affected, you know, the way they attack. You know, they've created chances, stuff like that, but actually, you know, they're very solid, but that solidity has kind of taken a little bit away from them going forward. But, you know, we're talking off the back of them being a Liverpool 3-1. So, so yeah, um, I... I'm disappointed that Arsenal haven't... Well, I say I'm disappointed, I'm not an Arsenal fan, but I, I, I think for them, that's probably a disappointment that they haven't brought somebody in that can score goals regularly, which they don't seem to have at the moment. And I would put them down as um, losers in this transfer window, even though they had a very good summer. It's just one thing that, for me, is that if I was an Arsenal fan, would be, would be a nagging doubt. 
Yeah, I'm certainly not disappointed by that, but uh, excellent points um, from all of you. But we've all kind of talked about it. So obviously, financial fair play has been around for years. But the thing that actually ended up catching um, Everton and a few other clubs is this new profit and sustainability uh, rule. Well, I say new. It's been around since 2013, but it's just starting to be enforced. Do we think starting to see punishments through that system starting to trickle through is one of the reasons why maybe a club like Arsenal or some of the other bigger clubs um, or just clubs in general weren't really moving as quickly or as determinedly for players this January? I think, yes, in in obviously seeing someone actually get punished um, would put pump the brakes a little bit. But I think also the biggest factor is the uncertainty with um, Everton's case. Because if you, if you look at Everton's case, their argument is, is that based on their calculations, they haven't broken PSR. They, they, I think they, they were saying they were around 87 million or so um, in terms of losses. Where obviously they need to get to um, over 100 uh, in, in in order to be sort of in breach. Whereas the Premier League, based on the Premier League's calculations, they're saying that um, Everton were at about 124 million. Um, so. That that's probably what's making club, clubs pause, especially whilst Everton are, are appealing this matter. Is what exactly counts for this um, PSR and what doesn't count in terms of money? Because there's some things that do count, obviously transfer fees, etc. That you 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 know count towards the the calculations that they give, but there are also exceptions. Um, I think it, club infrastructure, for example, is an exception. Um, if you have a, 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 a women's team that's associated or um, running your academy, uh, those costs don't count into this PSR calculation that the Premier League does. So there are some exceptions. Um, and there's a gray area, it seems, when, with the Everton case of what counts as an exception, what doesn't count, and that obviously affects what what your total is. And if you're a club that's sitting there thinking, I think we're safe in terms of um, you know the, the 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 when we do our calculations, are the Premier League going to see it the same way? Are they going to see the exceptions we see as exceptions or not? Um, so I think yeah. So so that's the big issue in terms of where clubs are looking at it and saying, let's rather be cautious. Let's not give the Premier League an, an opportunity to sort of punish us uh, in that way. So, yeah, um, maybe after the Everton case is resolved, we will see clubs sort of, we'll see, the lines will be drawn and maybe it will be a bit clearer for clubs to see where they stand and how they can spend. And then also an important thing was, as of this coming year, or th these past uh, accounts that have been given by clubs, because they now need to give them every uh, December, um, it's no longer the under the, the scope of, there was a COVID-19 exception for losses as well, um, but that's no longer there, because that was 20, uh, I think it was 1920 years, is when it encapsulated it. Now, you can't use COVID as an excuse and, and the the exceptions that were bracketed in because of COVID, I guess, uh, you know, not having people in the stadiums, et cetera, that's now no longer a factor. So again, clubs don't have as much leeway as they had in previous seasons, which is probably also strategic. Maybe some clubs like an Arsenal who spent quite heavily did so knowing that they, they were in this exception window and now that they're out of it, they're going to rein it in a little bit. 
Yeah, I think Tad's made some excellent points there. Um, I, I think I'm actually in favour of it. I think it's too easy for for teams to view spending money as a solution. Um, I'd much rather teams try to look in-house and improve the players they've got and develop young talent. And hopefully we'll see a bit more of that and a bit less spending. I think um, with the financial situation that the UK has found itself in as well, um, it just looks even more gross than normal. I think when football teams are spending tens of millions of pounds of players on, on footballs and, yeah, I guess it's a bit of a circular argument and it's it's difficult to come up with a better solution. But I think when people are struggling to put food on the table and teams are spending £20 million on a player who might not even get in their team, I think it's just a bit disgusting. So um, I'm in favour of the PSR. I think what is important is that it gets used consistently. Um, I don't like the way that it's already been kind of weaponized by fans of some clubs. Uh, Everson obviously put their hands up to the initial charge and said, yeah, we've broken these rules. Um, and the fans don't seem to have accepted it, even though the club have, have basically said that the Premier League's got them banged to rights and they're going to appeal anyway. It's, it's all very strange. Um, obviously, I've not read the full report because I've got a life. <laughs> but yeah, I think it just it just needs to be applied consistently. I don't think it's really fair that the clubs that try to live within their means end up behind because other teams just spend whatever they want. I think there has to be some sort of limits on spending. Um, otherwise, the, the richest team will just win the league. And I know that's happened with Man City for the last few years, but... And we need to to make the Premier League a bit more competitive and and not just have the biggest bank balance at the top of the table. Some great points that I'm fully on board with, to be honest. Um, You know, this is a competition. All of these teams in the Premier League uh, voted for for, for these rules and then all of a sudden, you know, you start to get complaints about them. Like Jamie said, I don't understand the... The Everton fans' angst. I understand they're upset. If it was Palace, then I'd have just blamed the club because it's mismanagement, isn't it? You know, it, you've admitted the charge, you've admitted you broke the rules, and then you get upset because you're penalised for it. <laughs> well, tough. I'm sorry. You know, they're all campaigning and stuff like that. You know, the rules are there for a reason. You know, if you overspend, even by a pound, whatever it is, if if, if you're over it, then, you know, it's the same in any walk of life, isn't it? Let's face it. So, yeah, I'm I'm going to say, I don't think there should be a January transfer window anymore. I've never been a fan of it, never have been, never will be. And maybe this is a sign of things to come. You know, it's a very quiet window for most clubs out there. I know Palace dipped in very late. Um, that's very unlike us. <laughs> but, but I think that's probably a lot to do with the pressure that, people are under at the moment which we'll probably come to um but yeah i i would rather i think jamie alluded to it as well that clubs you know all summer that's when you change your squad buy players sell players do whatever as soon as the season kicks off that's when the window closes until the last game last kick of the ball end of a season i'd much rather have that than coaches have to coach um players have to you know play better or if they're not you know then you start training youngsters to come into the 
into squads and if they start showing you'll you'll, you'll start seeing more youth players coming through because mm. you don't have that window in January so I'm I've never liked it I've always saw it's a bit of a get out clause for a lot of clubs who have a bit of money um if they're struggling buy their way out of trouble um whereas for the whole season yeah just just run with it you got a whole season to do what you need to do if you're in trouble in January well you know play better coach better <laughs> do what you need to do you know um, I've always thought that. Um, I've hated Jeremy Transwind, always have. It's just, well, that's media wet dream, isn't it? I know we're probably all, um, but I've never really been one for kind of backing it. It's just a horrible month. It's a horrible month in general, isn't it? It's about 60 days long, let's face it. And then you've got a January <laughs> transfer window if you're a football fan as it is. So, yeah, I, I think both of them, I mean, I think with, a, with, the, with the financial fair play rules, you know, <sighs> Very dubious, isn't it? You know, you've got you've got the Premier League, um, you know, handing out these penalties. Uh, Forest are the next one in the dock. You've got City, got charges against them. The rumours are that Chelsea will be the next one. They won't be the last. But, you know, I think everyone's waiting to see what happens with the Everton uh, appeal and uh, what, what happens from there, because there seems to be several grey areas. And that's clearly affected January transfer window. It's a little bit like VAR, isn't it, at the moment? You know, it's just, you know, it just doesn't, just, just so too many grey areas um, when, you know, there's a lot at stake. There's an awful lot at stake. And in Everton's position, and they need to make a decision very quickly because if there's another charge coming towards Everton, there's not long between now and into the season. And that's going to affect other clubs in terms of relegation. And they need to get their finger out and decide what's what if this charge is staying which obviously we'll find out at some point but they can't prolong it if Forrester faces a deduction then surely that's got to be decided before the end of the season unlikely but it, it just seems a little bit unfair as because nobody knows where they are this is the problem so we'll have to watch your space I guess yeah, it is really interesting. And a point that I think you made, Jamie, uh, that I really like was, uh, well, I, actually a lot of you mentioned, um, was that like these have been the rules for some time and now people are shocked by it. And I think it's really fascinating not to belabor a whole Tottenham thing again, as I often do. But I think it's really fascinating that Daniel Levy watched his own teams fall just short year after year while trying to follow these rules, knowing that other clubs weren't, and he stuck to it. And now, as several of you said that Tottenham probably won the January window, probably enabled something like that. And that now everybody's having to like look around and make sure they're okay, as opposed to somebody that's been there that whole time, which helps, and also set it up so that it would be sustainable that whole time. Lots of ills, as people know, with Daniel Levy, but I do find that um, particularly interesting. Uh, I just said I wasn't going to make it all about Tottenham, and here we go into the second topic, which kind of touches on them anyway. Um, the past few weeks, um, opposing teams have been targeting uh, Tottenham's new goalkeeper, uh, Guglielmo Vicario, um, on corners. Well, they'll back him into his own net, or they'll step in front of him, like get in his line of sight, stuff like that. And it's led to multiple goals already. You could argue it's one of the main reasons uh, Spurs lost yesterday. Well, that in the last 20 minutes, we were terrible. But um, I was just curious your all's thoughts. Have you seen this in your own matches? And in situations like this, do you blame the team for not kind of like shielding or protecting the keeper? Is it on the goalkeeper to either call for that protection or to be strong enough in the air or, or agile enough to get around uh, players that might be trying to interfere with them? Or is it a refereeing issue where for years we've seen a lot of protection of goalkeepers, a lot of fouls for goalkeeper interference that suddenly seem to not be getting called as much? 
it, it's quite an interesting uh, situation that you guys are going through. And uh, my better half is a Spurs fan, and we were discussing it yesterday during the game. If you look at how Everton executed it, Harrison was basically backing into uh, Vicario as soon as the corner kick is taken. He has no interest in challenging for the ball. He doesn't care where the ball, he knows where it's going to go. It was going to the back post, but all he cared about was backing into Vicario. Now, if he's not having any effect towards or, or, or attempting to play the ball, I think that, you know, goalkeepers should be protected in that sense, but it just doesn't seem like the rules allow for it. So it's probably something that's going to need to be fixed um, from them introducing some sort of new rule. We've seen them try and change the handball rule multiple times every single season. Uh, this might be one of those situations where they need to sit down and actually change the rules with regards to it. Because the issue for me is if Vicario is jumping up and there's a player backing into him, he's going to have no control of how he lands, which is which can be quite dangerous. And it, it, maybe it's ironic or un unfortunate, but... Uh, because it involves Spurs, but Kane used to do that, where defenders would jump and then Kane would just back up into mm. them. And the defenders would literally either fall on their face or fall straight onto their backs. And refs never used to always, you know, give the foul for, you know, against Kane for that. And I always used to complain that it's, it, maybe it's not in the rules, but when you're endangering a player in terms of they're not able to control how they land, that could be quite detrimental. And similar to the Vicario situation, if he jumps and the player's backing into him, there's no way he can control how he's going to land. Surely there has to be a foul there. If it's not in the rules that that's a foul, they have to change it. At the moment, if 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 refs aren't going to give that foul, then it's on Spurs for at least until they change it to have a player in between Vicario and, in this case, Harrison you have to have a player in between the two of them and they're stopping that player backing into him. Now, obviously, it means it's one less player that's defending the corner, but needs must at the moment until the rules are changed. Yeah, so I've, I've not actually seen much of Spurs where this is happening, but we have a pretty similar situation at Burnley um, at the other end of the table where we've got a goalkeeper new to the Premier League who's really struggling from set pieces. Um, James Trafford, young lad, Sam from Man City in the summer. He was playing in League One last season, so it's a big jump for him. Um, and it didn't take long at all for opposition teams and managers. I think this is one of the big steps up in the Premier League that weaknesses get targeted immediately and then relentlessly. Um, Trafford's got a weakness from crosses. He has no authority. Uh, he doesn't come to catch. He tries to punch. He can't get through a crowd. Um, and he struggles when teams put a man on him, very similar to what Harrison was doing for Everton against Burst. Um, and we conceded a late equaliser against Luton the other week where he came for a cross and someone stood in his way and he just bounced off them um, and left the, the guy behind his head into an open goal. So we've seen very similar stuff happening at Burnley all season, really. Um I think not to be a stuck record from, from the last question, but again, it needs to be consistent. If if refs are going to allow this to go, they need to continue to allow it to go. Um, in terms of the question that you asked, though, I think it's it's a bit of everything. I think goalkeepers have to be more alive to the fact that this is 
going to happen. I don't think you can just throw your hands up and go, well, there's someone in my way. You're a goalkeeper. You're probably taller. You're mm-hmm. allowed to use your hands. Um, I think goalkeepers just need to not be, like, channel Jens Lehmann a bit. Give a bit back. Like, you can be physical too. That's allowed. Um, I think there's too many goalkeepers now just let themselves get bullied physically and then complain, complain to the referees. Um, the issue we have with Trafford is it's inexperienced. He's a young lad playing a, a men's game and he looks like a boy at times. Uh, and I think the team needs to protect him. You touched on this as well. Um, if goalkeepers are being targeted like that, it's up to the team make sure that they give him that protection. Like Tad was saying, there needs to be a player dedicated to stopping the player who's trying to stop the goalkeeper. Might seem ridiculous, but just put your burliest guy on stopping the other guy from getting to the keeper. If it turns into a bit of a wrestling match, then that's what is going to happen. Um, and I think managers have to have to keep this in mind as well. It's been very frustrating watching Burnley have this weakness all season. And Vincent Company has seemingly not addressed it by giving Trafford more protection. And I think it's probably the same at Spurs, right? Like, why is why is Vicario still having these issues where there's no Spurs defenders coming to his help? Um, I think it's difficult because I think goalkeepers have been overprotected for a long time. And now, arguably, at the moment, a couple of them have been underprotected. Um, but like I say, they can use their hands. They've got this advantage. There's too many keepers forget that they're allowed to come and catch the ball and don't even try and then complain when they don't get decisions. So, yeah, even though it's gone against us in a similar way to Spurs at times this season, I think goalkeepers just need to grow up a bit. I, as a fully paid up member of the goalkeepers' union, I would have to agree with everything. Not about a, <laughs> not. Not about the growing up part, because, you know, <laughs> um, but it, it's happened in park football for for ever and a day. It, you know, the players target the goalkeeper every single time there's a free kick or corner, even in six aside. It's happened for goodness knows how long, forever, for as long as I can remember. So it's about time Premier League. Uh, I started seeing it in the Premier League, let's face it. But yeah, Jamie's spot on. You know, goalkeepers can come out. They got can use their hands, you know. Uh, but I do get the other point of view is that it's got to be consistent because it's not being called in every game. You know, the the, the incident at, uh, at Burnley against Luton was, um, yeah, was a really tight call. But if that's how they're going to call it, they've got to call it in every game. You know, this is the problem with officiating, isn't it? As, we, as we're always complaining about that, you know, if that happens in one game, it doesn't always happen in another. But obviously it's happening a couple of times with Spurs. Um, the rules seem to be relaxed by some referees, but not others. Um, but goalkeepers do have a fairly upper hand when it comes to, you know, if they've just got to command their area and, like Jamie said, you know, get somebody, you know, get some protection in there. You know, Spurs have Romero in the back line. I mean, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have somebody to protect your goalkeeper when that's happening to him. Um, so yeah, I, I agree the points being said. I say goalkeepers in part football have been used to this for, for 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 forever. Let's face it. So it's nothing new, um, but it probably is new in the Premier League. And you know, it's you know, top class sport. It's all about getting that upper 
you know that edge isn't it however small it might seem and you know if this is something that um teams are targeting clearly particularly in Jane Trafford, James Trafford's uh, situation but now the Spurs uh, Spurs keeper then you know it's, it's it's fine lines all the time, isn't it, between winning and losing? And if that's getting the upper hand, then and it's not being called, but I, it has to be called. Cool. It has to be consistent. I think that's my biggest gripe about these things: is that it happens in one game, not another, um, and you see it being kind of sporadic. And it's and again, that's unfair. Yeah, I agree with a lot of that stuff, especially the consistency part, because I think I came into this feeling as a fan like this needs to get fixed. Um, but uh, the analogy that was made to it being like the handball rule, I think, Ted, you were saying, where it changes so many times. I don't know if people will ever remember this, aside from me. Um, uh, Tottenham were playing Newcastle, and Eric Dyer was turned away from the ball, and the ball hit him in the back of the forearm. No, in the back of his upper arm. And it was called as a penalty, and then they fixed the rule after that. And like two weeks later, the same situation happened to Arsenal, and it wasn't deemed a penalty because they changed the rule midseason. Maybe I don't actually want to change midseason just in that way. That it kind of calls into question incidents that have already happened and how it may have been treated differently if there's a rule that's implemented midway through. Um, as for the actual technique part, uh, for, for those living in the States that have to listen to Tim Howard every week, which is not often a delight, he said something of actual use um, as a former goalkeeper himself, obviously. Um, and it kind of touches on some of the stuff you were talking about, Jamie and Jay, about the keeper needing to defend himself a bit more. His point was not just that he has two hands, although very well <laughs> said, Jamie. Um, it was that p- you can punch with one. Like, why are you not shielding yourself with one arm or pushing off of the other player or giving it back a bit, I think you said, um, and then clearing it with the other hand? I agree that basically everyone needs to be doing better in these situations. The fact that it's constantly happening to Trafford for Burnley there, Jamie. The fact that it's constantly happening to Vicario. Like, the manager or someone needs to realize that this keeps happening and it's costing you points and you need to do something about it. But I did think it was really interesting hearing uh, technically a thing that a goalkeeper could do to get around that. Although, not to belabor this, but Jay, as a member of the goalkeepers union, is that is that a pragmatic solution? To like balance yourself or push off with one and punch with the other, or are you like being told to always double fist it? Uh, I mean, you don't get told anything. Part of football, you're you're left to go goal <laughs> sure. as a goalkeeper. You don't really get many people telling you how to do you how to play your game in goal. Um, it depends on the ball that's coming in, really. You know, it, it all depends on your positioning and stuff like that, really, and and your your judgment uh, a lot of the time. But I think you know, you used to have you used to have goalkeepers that came out leading with their knee, and um, we're not talking like high. But well, didn't Jens Lehmann used to do that? I think Jamie mentioned Jens Lehmann. Jens Lehmann used mm. to come out of his knee. You think if players are going to start fouling the goalkeeper, you know, they can start protecting themselves by leading with the knee. And I'm not saying in a foul, but you know, they they used to do that, come out for the ball and you know have their knee up, as in that action where you're jumping up, sort of thing. You know, and that kind of was a kind of protection kind of thing. I'm sure it'd be called as a foul these days anyway. But um, but yeah, no, that's spot on. Gotcha. All right. Um, well, we will wrap up this opening section with just a very quick one to three word answer. Uh, do you think that Mauricio Pochettino will still have his job at Chelsea by the time this show comes out tomorrow? No, I don't think he'll be sacked. Um, it seems like teams are being more patient this season with managers. They've bought an awful lot of players. He needs to bed them in. My only concern is Chelsea are quite... Um, they've got a reputation of the players downing tools when they don't like a manager and sort of getting rid of a manager. A lot of those players have left the club, uh, one could argue, but maybe it's still embedded within 
the the, the ethos of Chelsea? Uh, no, I think they'll keep him as well. I think it's it's too big a project, and although it's it's going wrong at the minute, I think uh, if you're going to have all these young players, you need someone like Pochettino to lead that club. Yeah, I, I agree with the general consensus. It'd be mad to get rid of him. You know, he's trying to he's trying to mould a team. None of these players are his own since he's come in. They did very little business in January, which probably a lot to do with, you know, some of the reservations about the uh, the rules and everything. So obviously they were trying to get people out the door, I think, more than they were bringing anybody in. So, so yeah, I think he's got a tough job on his hands. We knew that when he came in. Um, but you need to give him time. Because you know it's been it's been a comedy show, isn't it? Since the new owner came in, and everyone was thinking, well, you know, it's not going to be like Roman Abramovich, but it's arguably worse, isn't it? In terms of how you know how the money has been spent, the contracts have been handed out left, right, and centre, and you know he's got a very um, interesting mix of talent there, and you know, there's no there's no doubt in any of the talent. It's actually getting them to the mould and play play the way that he wants them to play and he certainly needs this season to be able to do that. I'd argue that he should have had a few of the games at the end of last season, really. You know, should have been brought in maybe, you know, just a handful of games just um just just so he can get get a handle on the players and and see how they how they reacted to, you know, certain things, certain scenarios and, you know, with with really no pressure at that part of the season. That could have done them a, a, you know, could have done him the world a good potentially but um but yeah they'll be they'll be crazy to get rid of him um i mean the other question is who would who would come in i'm sure there'd be a long list of suitors because that is a very talent talented squad um but on the flip side of that you have to wonder you know whether they've got any sanctions coming their way uh in the future you know because of their spending and that kind of thing so Everything is all very doubtful at the moment, isn't it? In ter- you know, in terms of uh, the Premier League and uh, and what's going on. So um, yeah, it, it's it's a little bit restless, I would say. Gotcha. Apparently, well, this was a bad question, and the Wolves fans were wrong that were saying that he'd be sacked in the morning. Uh, also, uh, the thought just occurred that all the financial stuff that we've been talking about all day, if all of that is included in uh, the sustainability rules, can they afford to get rid of him? would be also interesting to have to pay a parachute payment and the new salary for whoever was coming in next uh, to get rid of him. Um, but that's where we will wrap up the first half of the show. Now we'll take a quick break and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, we are back. Uh, Ted, we'll start off with you talking about Liverpool. Uh, this is the first chance we've had to talk to a Liverpool fan since Klopp announced uh, that he would be stepping down at the end of the year. Uh, so curious, just your thoughts on that. Obviously hard to summarize everything he's meant for the club uh, while he's been there. But also there was an expectation that this would really push you on um, towards the top of the table, um, maybe even capture a, a second title for him before he departed. Obviously today's match against Arsenal, a bit of a setback. But do you buy into that um theory that now you'll have more to play for and that'll actually result in in a change in performance and then 
also if you have time uh, how you felt about uh, Klopp's tenure and, and the announcement that it's coming to an end. Uh, I, I think it certainly maybe helps with the motivation and channeling, you know, all, all the players to push in one direction. Because you could you could look at it this way. There could be some players that are not happy with Klopp at the moment or not happy with decisions that the club are making. And it could be quite easy to put that to one side and say, well, look, it's a fresh start next season. Let's all finish strong now um, and, and, and get Klopp a, a send-off that he... Um, uh, it's hard to say a send-off he deserves because nothing's a given in football. Um, you, you, you have to earn it. So hopefully they, they earn it and they send him off in a good way. In, it will be interesting that they've got a documentary as well, that they've announced that they're going to be um, following the team and, and sort of trying to write a story. So they're certainly doing everything they can to make this a, a, a fairy tale ending. Um, they've got the documentary, they've got the Klopp announcement, which personally, um, not this is not me reporting it or anything, this is just my own opinion. I think a journalist was going to announce that Klopp was leaving and, and sort of gave the club a chance to to let it come from Klopp himself mm. rather than come from a journalist because the club knew since November that Klopp was leaving. It seemed an odd time to announce it now um, that he was leaving. I, I think it, was, it, 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 it had now come out and it was time for them to, because knowing Klopp the person, he wouldn't want all this drama and stuff to be surrounding him. Um, even if you listen to his interview, he spoke about guys. Don't sing about me. Sing about the team, etc. He, he, that's just who he is as a person. Um, so yeah, I, I think in terms of replacing him, um, probably the biggest compliment I can give him is that it's going to be a lot harder to replace Jurgen Klopp, the human, than it is going to be Jurgen Klopp, the manager, because look, you, you can get. Good man, there are good managers and great managers in and around football, um, you know, around the world. But Klopp almost was uh, a spokesman for Liverpool, the city, and I, I hope I'm not being disingenuous to, to Everton fans by saying Liverpool, the city, because I do believe there were some things that um, Klopp spoke about that Everton fans would resonate with. Um, so that's going to be the big thing to replace. Is he was such a big character outside of just being Liverpool manager, can the next person do that along with having the expectations and, and, and the efforts that you need to be manager of Liverpool? I guess time will tell. Do I think Liverpool can do it? Obviously, the performance is still quite raw against Arsenal, but this was a game without Mohamed Salah, um, who I think best player in the league. Um, even though De Bruyne is my favorite player in, in the Premier League, I still think Salah is the best in the league. Um, you have a Thiago that's just come back from injury. Trent, as poor as he was in that game, was never going to play 90 minutes because he's coming back from injury. Robertson's coming back from injury. The mistakes that Van Dijk and Allison made, they make them one every 20-odd games. So I'd rather them make it... Obviously, it sucks making it in such a big game, but at least they made all those mistakes in one game. Um, so we're probably not going to see a <laughs> sure. mistake from them for, for a couple of games. That's just the caliber of players that they are. So I think with all the people coming back from injury, um, with the news, with the, the, the fans galvanizing to try and soak in this last bit of Jurgen Klopp, 
there is every single chance and and and, and Liverpool put themselves in the best positions to go and actually do it, whether they do it, time will tell. Um, and then in terms of um, Klopp leaving and announcing that he's leaving, I thought we were on borrowed time with Klopp. He usually lasts eight eight years and then he's out. Um, he's done it at Mainz. Uh, he's done it at Dortmund. So he, when he renewed his contract with Liverpool, I was more shocked that he renewed than the fact that he, you know, that he didn't leave. And if you listen to the behind the scenes stuff, his wife is one of the biggest factors why he stayed. She basically, he was basically thinking, should we call it? And she convinced him that, no, we can't leave now. Like, let's give it another go. But Klopp has always been open ever since he started managing that one, he didn't want to manage late into his life. He wanted to enjoy his life if he could. And two, that he was going to try and give retirement a go. Um, he's not guaranteeing that he's going to retire, stay retired, and the itch isn't going to come and he's going to want to manage again. But he he's always said, I have to at least give it a try. I have to try and retire at a good age, enjoy my life with my family because he feels he gives so much whenever he is managing. So I, I, I was expecting him to have left two years ago. So this has kind of been a bonus time for, for, for me with him. And then lastly, um, just to tie in with my favorite manager of all time, Arsene Wenger. Um, yes, a weird a Liverpool fan, his favorite player is De Bruyne, his favorite manager is Wenger, but put that to one side. Um, Klopp, I think, has done an admirable thing in leaving when he's sort of helped rebuild and 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 push Liverpool to Liverpool 2.0 or the next phase of Liverpool. We've seen managers at previous teams who leave after they've squeezed the last pip out of the team and then the new manager has an awful lot to do and it's just, it's, it's impossible to do it. Um, Klopp has rebuilt the midfield. I still think there's work to be done there a little bit. But if you look at this Liverpool team, there's talent there. A new manager can come in and grow the team. Klopp could have easily left last year when things were, weren't going as well as they could. So I, I, I tip my hat to him because I think Wenger did the same thing uh, when he could have left for Real Madrid. He, he didn't want to leave Arsenal in the shape that they were in. So he stayed longer and that was to his detriment. At least Klopp gets to, to leave on his own terms. Gotcha. Yeah. Excellent points from you there. Of course, uh, aside from, yeah, outing yourself as being married to a Spurs fan, loving Arsene Wenger and Kevin De Bruyne, but you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll deal with that on another show. Um, clearly, taste. <laughs> Jamie, uh, we'll come to you now to not talk about <laughs> Ted Stace, but to talk about Burnley, uh, rather yesterday, obviously a uh, great last minute, uh, equalizer for Burnley. I was just curious in that moment, is it just excitement like any other time your your club manages to either pull off a draw or a win when it looks like the minutes are against you? Or is it already starting to feel like draws and singular points aren't enough as you're trying to chase safety? No, it's a good question because at, at the end, whoever was in charge of the PA system played um, Freed from Desire because that's the only song that's allowed to get played at football other than Sweet Caroline. Um, and they completely misread the mood. Everyone was still really angry. Um, we played really badly and sort of burgled a draw, but you're right, draws aren't really going to do much good now. It's starting to feel a bit too little too late. Um, 
for me, the frustrating thing about that game is that we'd, we'd essentially lost it in the first 20 minutes and it took until the last 20 minutes to save it. So if we actually started playing a bit earlier in the match, we might have half a chance. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? We, we talked earlier in the show about all the PSR stuff and the punishments. Like, I think points deductions are probably the only thing that can save us right now. But then... There's always a bit of hope, isn't there? It's this stupid, annoying thing about this annoying game. There's always a little bit of hope. I couldn't help but think when we got the first goal back, what if we get a couple more? What if we win this game? What if it's a turning point? Um, but turning points and false dawns can be very similar, right? It's difficult to tell which is which at the time. Um, it's starting to feel like we're done. I don't think there's enough quality in the team. I don't think there's enough tactical acumen on the bench. Um and the team don't like the playing for the manager at the moment, which is a concerning thing to say at any point. But in a relegation battle, I think it means that you're probably toast. Yeah, it's it's uh can't be too encouraging right now for Burnley, but I do truly hope things turn around for you. You got a couple of signings in. Maybe maybe they'll be able to help uh steer the ship for you uh back to safety. Yeah, or well, maybe other people lose 20 points. Who knows? Yeah, well, Fafana, who we've signed from Chelsea on loan and upset a few people with some ill-judged comments in an interview, apparently. Um, he's made a good impact, had an assist at City on debut, scored two off the bench at the weekend. You'd have to assume he's going to start the next game. Might have been a, a good idea to start him after he was good <laughs> at City, but what do I know? Um, so Fafana looks like he's going to make an impact. Two new defenders played quite well. Um, but yeah, it's sort of tinkering around the edges. There's too many players who were still out of the depth who were going to have to play because they're all we've got. There's players that were star players last season that weren't getting a look in. It's very strange. Two guys that were regular stars in the Champions season last season went out on loan on deadline day. It's like, why aren't these guys getting a game? Um, it just it's it seems like there's a lack of clear thinking. I think from from the manager and and those above uh, and only doing three loans in January seems that relegation's basically been accepted. There was no last get last throw of the dice spending. It was just um, let's try and get a couple of bodies in to see if we can help out. Gotcha. Well, again, uh, good luck either on the pitch or in the courtrooms against other clubs. Um, <laughs> Jay, uh, we'll wrap up with you talking Crystal Palace. Uh, Jamie obviously mentioned some of uh, his perceived issues with Palace in the opening section uh, as as maybe a club that could have done more in January. But it feels like the issues are a little bit larger right now. Uh, there's obviously been a few uh, pieces written uh, pretty critical of uh, Parrish. And obviously there was a very interestingly worded uh, TIFO uh, a few weeks back criticizing the club and, and Hodgson and some of the people at the club that hit. Hodgson responded too negatively and then um, apologized for responding negatively. Anyway, the vibes aren't great is my sense of what's going on. So, so what are you making of the current state of Palace? Do you think Hodgson's at risk? Do you think, you know, as you continue to uh, see the, the money being put in by the ownership um, that, that we're going to see significant changes? Where do I start? <clears throat> I, I will start by saying that everything is very toxic at the moment. It came to a head yesterday at Brighton. I was there. Um, fans are very unhappy at the end of the game because the manner of the, of the defeat. Um, to endure that against your rivals and to lose in the manner that we did, um, yeah, it, it leaves a very, very um, bad taste in the mouth. It really does. And it's been coming 
to be honest. It's been a very odd season. Um, Roy Hodgson hasn't helped himself by making a few very bizarre comments. Um, I think one of the ones that has really set us off is the one about us being spoiled. Palace fans have been spoiled over the years. Um, that one really has grated on a lot of people. I'm not sure what we've been spoiled about. Whether it just means our longevity in the Premier League, maybe that's it. I don't know for a club of our size. But you know, clubs, everybody wants their club to do the best that they can. And, you know, we're not blinking enough to think that we're going to challenge for a title or anything like that. But, you know, we've had a good squad of players for a couple of seasons now. And I think the biggest issue we have is that I I do feel sorry for Roy, actually. I really do feel sorry for him. I'm one of these people that I will not openly criticise him, um, but he's not helping himself at the moment. And on the flip side of it, the injuries aren't helping him either. You know, you've got Eze Elise out, guy who went off injured yesterday, Decore, our holding midfielder, who has been superb since he joined us two summers ago, um, tore his Achilles and is out for the rest of the season. Since that moment, it started to go downhill because we've not had anybody to protect the back line. That has been the biggest problem we've had, and it's kind of gone downhill from there. That The ownership of the club has a lot to answer for, because last summer, obviously we had Roy for 10 games after Patrick Vieira was sacked, and they were really good. They were really good 10 games. End of the season, um, a fond farewell to Roy, did his job, off he goes, and then everybody's views were that we would imply a new manager. Didn't happen offered Roy a year's contract, which blindsided most people. I think the longer the summer went on without a new appointment, that was kind of, you know, always going to happen once we got to a certain point, a certain stage, and it's not worked out. Now, whether the club have a plan um, for next summer, there's a lot of rumours that Southgate will quit England after the Euros, and that is our man. The other viewpoint is uh, Graham Potter but obviously he can't join the club uh, in the season after he was sacked because of compensation reasons or whatever whatever they may be but my view is that we should have just gone out got a manager last summer like any what like any other team do mm. replace a manager who you've just sacked with somebody else whether you gave we gave Roy 10 games that was it and then gave bought, bought them time to do their due diligence and appoint somebody in the summer. Didn't happen. And now we've waited, in my view, it's wasted a complete wasted season. And now we're in a predicament that we are. I still don't think we'll go down, but we're not too good to go down. We can still get, we're, you know, we're getting ever closer to that bottom three. And it, it, it's, it's just frustrating because we, <laughs> We 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 just don't seem to be organised, and it's just gone from one thing to another this season. Yeah, we had a particularly strong January window. It's unlike us, but um, Adam Wharton came in from Blackburn, as Jamie mentioned, very good player. Uh, he's had 50 games under his belt in the Championship for Blackburn um, at that young age as well. Uh, we've done we've changed our approach in recent years in terms of the recruitment. You know, we don't we don't recruit players coming towards the end of their careers, late 20s, early 30s, like we like we had a spate of doing for three or four seasons where and we suddenly had an aging squad and you, you got to the end of a season and some of those players on high wages were ending their contracts and you know we were left to fill the gap sort of thing. Um, we brought in Eberechieze, 
he was out for almost a year with an Achilles injury. Then we have Michael Elise, but they're both amazing talents. Just watching them play is just, you know, yes, we lost Wilfred Zaha, but had we had those two fit for the whole of the season, we would never have had a second thought about Wilf going elsewhere last summer. But the problem is we never replaced him. We never replaced Wilf. We never brought in a left winger um, to replace him directly. So, you know, that's another gap. But generally, we did buy a right back for the first time in, I don't know, 20 years. I can't remember. <laughs> Joel Ward, Joel Ward, we bought um, <clears throat> when, we went, when we got promoted 10 years ago into the Premier League. That was our, the last right back we actually bought. And we bought a new right back in who started the game against Brighton yesterday. To be honest, I felt sorry for him and Wharton. They're probably thinking, what is this shit show they've joined? Seriously. Um, Wharton came on for Guy, who went off injured after 20 minutes. Um, he was at fault for one of the goals because he gave the ball away. But, you know, give those to a break. They're not part of this. You know, they've they've come in and they will be good players. You know, Munoz had a dodgy start, but actually grew into the game. And he's going gonna, he's gonna to be a decent right back uh, for us. Um, even on that showing from yesterday, you could tell that there's something about him. Uh, and Wharton would be fine as well. But, yeah, yeah. whether mm. Roy will be sacked, I can't. I can't see it. I really can't. But, you know, who's going to come in and do a job for what? How long we got? Four months? Three months? You know, we, we've left it too long. Um, maybe someone will. But the thing is, that if we sack Roy and, and leave Paddy in charge, Paddy's got no credentials. Paddy McCarthy, who's our assistant, you know, he's got he's got no credentials to... Uh, to be a Premier League manager for what, even to hold the fort for three months, you know, you're, it's almost asking for trouble, but something needs to happen. Um, and there's an article today that um, the club are considering um, getting rid of Roy, but who's going to come in? And, you know, my only thought process is that the reason we didn't bring somebody in last summer was because we had a plan for this summer. We're waiting for somebody. Now the situation we're in kind of scuppers that a little bit because, you know, this can't continue in a way. We we just about beat Sheffield United last week, or last Tuesday, and that was a big effort. But both Elise and Eze went off injured in that game. So, you know, they're injury prone this season. They need a proper pre-season behind them going into next season. We don't want that next season to be in a championship. So, right. yeah, we're, we're in a very precarious position at the moment, um, and it's not great. It, the, the fan base is toxic. Um, there's nothing coming out of the club at the moment at all. Um, Roy's making very bizarre comments. He even outed Adam Water for making that mistake yesterday in his press conference after the game, which is highly unfair and inappropriate, to be fair. You know, he was he was thrown on because of an injury to a player. You know, he's only just signed the day before. You know, I know they're professional players, but Christ, give give the guys a chance. Yeah. That's pretty rough. I agree with you. I, I think uh, the issue isn't what's happening with Roy right now. It's that he's still there <laughs> that it was pulled back yeah. we, we we grabbed a beer in what march or april when i was over there and yeah. even then it was like well surely we wouldn't right and then <laughs> then <laughs> here we are uh but that will do it for us today so if you guys would like to tell folks where they can find you or anything you're working on now would be a good time thanks for having me on kev yeah i've been to the you can find me at tad predicts on twitter uh host of a tad predictable podcast on epl index channel yeah, thanks for inviting me. Thanks for listening. I've been Jamie Smith talking about Burnley. You can read my stuff on the No Name Ever newsletter, which is published on Substack, or follow me on Twitter at Jamie Smith Sports.
Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been great fun. Um, I'm Jay. I am. Uh, I run Eagles Beak. You can get us uh, at Eagles Beak on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and check out the website. There's lots of content up there over the past week, and I'm sure there's going to be more over the next ten days leading into playing Chelsea at home next Monday, which will be fun. <laughs> yeah, and obviously, if there is any Crystal Palace news, you know where to go. Obviously, the Eagles speak. Um, yeah, I'm your host Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroth. Uh, you can find the show at EPL Roundtable or by searching EPL Roundtable in any of your podcast clients. But yeah, thanks so much to these three for joining me today, and folks at home, we hope you keep listening. <laughs>